want to do <laughs> is pick your third option because I think that the chassis selection is important and I like how you put that um, and you didn't give an option for a stock. <laughs> well, I, I, I say that just because the word that my brain has evolved to is chassis, but there's there's kind of reasons for that, at least in my opinion. It's 100%. not to say there's... It's not to say it's the wrong thing. I think we'll cover all of them, but probably why we've navigated, migrated away from, you know, stocks per se. But, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm never going to tell anyone what they can or can't use or what they can't make work. Sometimes I feel like with enough time and training and, and understanding that you can make a lot of things work. Um, but I like to make things easy on myself. Yeah. I, I work hard, work smarter, <laughs> not harder. The other yeah. way around really sucks. Yeah, so that um, leads me to a chassis. Yeah. Um, so first off, let's go through you know chassis versus stock, traditional quote unquote stock. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. You know, there's they still exist. There's dozens of rifles available with stocks. There's dozens of stocks available for just about every action and inlet that you can think of. But in my mind, when I think of a stock now, after having shot chassis for so long. I think of something that's lighter, generally designed more for hunting. It's maybe designed more around sling use or mountain use, something that you have to hike a lot more with. But when, and I don't, I don't necessarily think they're imprecise, but I do think that they come with a lot of limitations that I've become less a fan of. And I, I've realized that those limitations, while being very nuanced, for the average shooter who's just starting, if you have something in a chassis, or a stock rather, I don't think you're going to notice that there's a massive difference between going to a chassis or not right away. I think over time, after you have a little bit of experience, you absolutely will. I don't know about your thoughts on that, but I think there's a there's a very good argument to be made for a, a chassis in the type of shooting that we do regularly. Yeah, well, I'll, the first thing I'll say is that stocks in general are not your grandfather's wooden, um, no. non-ergonomic... Um, platform to hold your action barreled action anymore there's a ton of great companies that build stocks that are attempting to be in my opinion a chassis yeah and they're <laughs> they're they're, they're, they're really flexible good. adjustable um there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of attributes about modern rifle stocks that i actually appreciate so yeah, really. I, I almost wish we wouldn't have that distinction, if you will. Yeah, I think that the material sciences, you know, because I look at something. So, good example. So, we, when we think of a, a stock HS Precision, um, mm-hmm. Manners, mm-hmm. Macmillan, yeah, Foundation, forever, yeah. Those are all stocks as mm-hmm. the way that we would use the original definition of a you know of, of a hand wound material or a composite material that's put together to hold your barreled action, keep it in place, and it's all a single piece milled out of some core. But a lot of those products are also now emulating certain features of chassis. We're moving towards more solid materials. Um, I think one of the best, if I had to say, hey, I was going to run a stock, I think, I mean, I ran Manners for a long time. I think those are great. I like the TCS. Um, the, what's the, the one I used to run, the PRS1, PRS2 series, that was great stock as well carbon mm-hmm. fiber had a uh, you can get it with or without a uh, mini a chassis as well again there's that you know evolution of their material sciences but i think the foundation is the one that people seem to be really leaning towards as of late and i think there's a little bit of good reason behind that in terms mm-hmm. of the material science they they use a single monoblock of micarta 
mm-hmm. to CNC machine it and put it out um, so that it fits you know your action like a glove. And, and John Kyle Truitt and Amy are, are fantastic people. They support their product. They support the community. Like there's a lot of really positive attributes about their company and their products that I think you know really put them in another level. Yeah, there's a ton of reasons to like that product for sure. <laughs> Um, the I think the advantages of a stock, if you like the sort of, I, I just generally speaking, I guess I'll talk in generalities. The a stock, in my experience, has felt slightly more dead feeling, and I mean that less vibration. And this is a very very nuanced discussion. So if I'm saying you know there's less vibration, I don't mean that you would shoot it and notice it instantly over one or the other if you're not putting hundreds of rounds through the same chassis and then go to just stock and back and forth, you might not ever notice the difference. But there is a there is sort of a dead quality to certain products that are more of a stock that's very difficult to replicate in a chassis. Isn't there a way to measure that? I mean, you, sh- you shoot an MDT product, right? The yep. ACC... ACC Gen 2 right Gen now, 2. Or yep. the Elite. Yep. Um, have they done any testing on that? Um like duration and amplitude of vibration frequencies. Yeah, we, so we've tested it in our product. I'm speaking, you know, on behalf of me. Sort of, we when we tested the um, the Gen One. So one of the products that I had a hand in helping create was the uh, buttstock dampers that a lot of people see these little clear inserts or black inserts in the prototype phase in the buttstock of my MDT ACC. And the the genesis of that product was noticing that I just noticed the reticle kind of bouncing a little more than I thought it should. And as I was looking, I shot my bow in the backyard. And I'm like, man, I feel like this, you know, the reason we have really light, it's called hyperspeed bows that are right at the tip top bleeding edge of performance is they have, you know, huge cams and, you know, high energy limbs, um, you know, 80, 85% let off and then transfers all the energy instantly into a, into the frame. And you get a lot of hand shock if it not if not done well. And when I was shooting bows back to back, trying to look for a new one, I noticed right away certain bows were very dead in the hand feeling, which is a pretty common term if you're used to shooting bows. And others seem to really have a lot of hand shock where you felt kind of a buzz in your palm of your hand. And I noticed with my ACC that there was a little bit more of that than what I was used to with manners when I first started. And I had a 3D printer and I decided to immediately start Let's see if I can take up some of this dead space. Well, fast forward, MDT uh, liked the concept. They they asked them to spin me up a couple of prototypes that were in different durometer or different hardness of material, basically a softer material than I had access to. They did, and I told them my feedback, what I felt by testing it, and lo and behold, it was around you know eighty to ninety percent reduction in the amplitude, the in other words, the frequency or the energy transmitted to an accelerometer and about an 80 to 90% reduction in the time frame or the duration that you'd, you'd sense those vibrations going through the chassis. And that was just as a result of having these little rubber pieces in certain strategic areas. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, 90% effectively, both in amplitude and duration, were, were negated. Now, you, what you can't know is what's that set? What is 90%? 90% of nothing is you know, really meaningless. 90% of all the vibration in the world is pretty significant. So you have to take that with a grain of salt and know that a measurement or a number when you see a pure stat doesn't really mean anything unless you have context with something to baseline it. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't have a good way of putting that baseline into words, short of my experience shooting it. So when we switched over to the damper system, started prototyping it, um, that was my effort in order to damp a chassis to make it feel a little bit closer to that of a stock. Because it's what I've been used to. Yeah. Yeah, so I've seen that many times. Um, and I shoot Masterpiece Arms, mm-hmm. and you shoot MDTs MDT. in there. Pretty, to be quite honest, pretty similar products. They're they're yeah. in the same realm, um, and they all inherently, since they're made out of a billet piece of aluminum, have that resonance that's very trans. It's transferable from running the bolt from the the recoil impulse to everything that interacts with the chassis being transferred into the chassis itself and then continuing to bounce around in, inside the material because we know that yeah. hard materials transfer by vibrations and stuff like that. So um, it's definitely worth exploring. And uh, I personally knew that you were the inception of, the, of that uh, concept and I'm not surprised, but I think some people might listening might be listening might not know that. So yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's neat to have been started in that, and I, I just I'm just glad it came to fruition and it worked as well as it did. Yeah, well, a lot of it's an interesting point because a lot of the people that support us and sponsor us um, ask for our input on on stuff like this, and as shooters that have been successful using their products, um, our input is valued by them. And then we get a chance to test out those products and test out those improvements. And it's really a good, like, symbiotic relationship. I'm, I'm super excited to be involved with a lot of these companies and be able to support and help innovate and grow and advance the, the product lines and stuff like that. It's really cool to have relationships with these companies that listen to you and value your opinion um, like you've experienced with MDT and others. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a, a very cool experience to be a part of. But you know, it does take it takes a lot of expertise and time and rounds down range to know that what you're the, let's call it the tree you're barking up is the right one. Because I mean, we've all had ideas at some point or another. I think everybody a shooter is like, oh, that's a great idea. I should do this, and then you either find out that somebody's already done it, or that you try it and the idea doesn't pan out the way you think, or you're just kind of self sold on it and you're like, it works, it works, and. In, in reality, it's just a diversion of attention. And this one was something that, you know, I, I really liked. And again, I'm going to back up and talk about vibrations a little more in stocks chassis. I start my very first aftermarket chassis, or stock rather, was a Manners, but it was a T4A, and it was the fiberglass with their, I forget what the original fill was, but it was a fiberglass shell. And I remember shooting that. I was really familiar with it in 6.5 Creed. I went to a PR two uh i think it was a pr2 it was a sloped buttstock if i remember correctly and whichever one is the slope buttstock on the pr prs series or pr series and i remember shooting that distinctly right away feeling like ooh, this feels snappier like there was something about breaking a shot that instantly felt like it was a snappier more reactive stock it had a mini chassis so it was a carbon fiber shell with the filled material and a mini chassis and I noticed the difference back to back and I shot them back to back with the same load uh, same barreled action and just remember going this feels dramatically different I sort of preferred the feel of the T4A but there was something about the rigidity of the PR2 
I think it was a PR2. PR2 that was, uh, that was also really desirable. It felt easier to manipulate and stayed consistently on target. Well, fast forward, I switched out to a chassis and found something, the same thing even only more so, like another order of magnitude. It was more rigid. It was more consistent. And I like the idea, and this is kind of going from, you know, the advantages of a stock. You can, you know, you can customize it with paint jobs. It looks nice. It's dead. It's got a generally a dead feel. I think they're more traditional looking. And for, you know, for the most part, you can, they're designed to be bedded for the most part, but a lot of them can be just drop in and you can shoot them. But I think that they shoot generally better with bedding. Uh, They either have to be pillar bedded, they have to have a, a mini chassis or something similar before you know, you can really get the most out of them. I don't know how much, I'd love to see that test, if you will, um, before and after on, you know, a couple of rifles, you know, bedded versus non, but I haven't seen that one yet. Bedding is an interesting topic. Um, yeah. I know Foundation says that you don't need to bed your stocks. I yeah, know there's, there's the, the mini chassis in the manners. I know there's... They say you don't have to, yeah. Yeah, there's um, some, I think AG Composites makes a pillar bedded stock that's like pre-read you know ready to load um and then you got the chassis systems that it's pretty intuitive like they're made and machined you shouldn't need to bed them right yeah they're v-blocks yeah so most of those systems are built around a v-block style or at least an inlet that mirrors the action you know as perfectly as can be with a mini v-block built in so as you start applying torque the action has nowhere to go but the two spot, you know, the four contact patches that it's going to make, right? One up front, one in the rear, on both left and right side. Mm-hmm. Or along the entirety of the sides uh, done properly. And that's appealing because it does mimic, you know, the idea of bedding, but not, not it's not bedding. It's not simply dedicated. uniform uniform contact surfaces is really what we're trying to achieve in any rifle stock or rifle chassis interface. Yeah, um, I my my opinion is I, I bed my chat I bed my chassis, so I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah, I had one that I did, <laughs> and I have not yet, but I'm waiting. Up, we're getting through so many prototypes right now that I'm uh, really just waiting for the final one to come out, so I can go. Yep, this is the one I'm betting it, and I think that one just arrived, so uh, I'm gonna probably end up betting that one. I do agree with you. I think there's something to the consistent. In fact, I would say it's not necessarily due, but due to precision. I like the idea of betting it simply so that debris doesn't fall in areas that I don't want it. It makes such a tight fit in and around the action that you don't get sand, dirt, and debris in behind the recoil lug, underneath the action, near the action screws. It's just a solid interface all the way around, done properly. Yeah, I'm just... From a manufacturing perspective, I'm not I'm not making these chassis. I'm not designing them. I'm not... I don't know, dealing with the, the material composition and stresses with relieving that much metal from a big billet chunk of aluminum. But just in my mind, I just feel like you remove that much material, um, it's hard for things to stay, the, you know, stay happy. There's As gotta they be were stresses. when they were machined. Yeah, yeah. there's got to be. And, and I know, you know, if something is annealed and, and doesn't have internal stresses, it shouldn't have it, but... I really feel like there's no downside, in my opinion, to putting a couple of patches of bedding, mainly 
around the sides of the action and in the recoil lug area and then on the rear tang of the action and yeah. do it in a stress-free manner and don't torque everything until you know you're up to 100 inch pounds um, do it to where it's just barely tight let that stuff harden up and then you can torque it down and there's not going to be any stress imparted in your action yeah. there shouldn't be any way but why not and then you take it then you can take it out put it back in 100 times and it, you know I never have a zero shift between setting up your scope base on the action properly which is a whole tip, different topic like putting your scope on your rifle sounds stupid simple but you know there's a wrong way to do it and a right way to do it and then between betting that or sorry betting your action and, and setting your scope up like I feel like I could take my rifle out of the chassis and take the scope off tonight in the hotel room put it all back on and I wouldn't have to change my zero tomorrow I would agree with you there I, yeah, I just I have that level of confidence, so I'm I'm not nervous of banging it into a barricade, having it tip over on the hayride to the next stage or whatever <laughs> that is. Um, the welcome wagon. I'm not worried about that type of stuff. I just don't I don't want to deal with it, and um, I feel like you know it's a small price to pay to to have that level of confidence. So yeah. does it really help me? I don't know. I don't think it hurts me. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think there's there is a a lot of benefit to the cert- the peace of mind and the certainty that comes with even a light skim bedding to take up any small tolerance. I mean, we're talking a thousandth of an inch, which isn't much, except at the muzzle, when we're trying to maintain small groups, you know, a thousandth of an inch translated to 100 yards later is quite a bit. Um, it ends up being, you know, half an inch or more at 100 yards from a foot away. Man, I haven't done that math, so yeah, I can't it's, confirm it's, that. But I was wondering, somewhere between a thousandth and a two thousandth lateral movement is something like a half an inch. I'd have to remember. If you if you're just thinking of in yards, let's say you had a thirty-six inch barrel, it's a hundred times whatever you use. So if you're at a thousandth of an inch, hmm. that's an inch. Yeah, something not, stupid like that. The angular change that, but, is is quite a bit. But yeah, for sure. I forget the exact number. Um, so that said, let's move into the next part, which chassis are what we've both migrated to besides the attribute of consistency within the materials and the fact that it's a uniform block, the part that I've really gravitated towards is the adjustability and customization because that becomes critical in what we do. You know, if you're trying to shoot small groups, if you're trying to shoot consistent groups, if you're trying to shoot off props and barricades, you need your rifle to feel as close to the same and act the same shot to shot. I don't mean how it groups. I mean what it looks like through the scope it should perform and look the same way as often as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to the bullet points of what we think the um, most important pillars are in precision rifle. But for me, rifle setup is number one. You, you need you need to have your rifle setup ergonomic for you, and that way you can build your natural point of aim around the rifle's natural point of aim. And for a stock, it's a no-go for me for the most part. I mean, most most of those um, stocks are not adjustable enough for me. I'm super tall, and you're probably average height, I'm guessing. Yeah. So you can probably get away with some of the stocks like the TCS, but but I need to have my stuff maxed out most of yeah, the time. Yeah, but so. only just. I mean, I, I would still argue that a lot of the, the traditional even chassis and stocks don't always make it as small. They don't go as large because... Just because of your height doesn't mean that your length of pull 
the spacing between you know mm-hmm. butt pad or, or ergonomics, the grip ergonomics are correct for you. It, it does not mean that. I don't think that the personally, I don't think that the length of pull for most rifle systems goes short enough to accommodate the type of shooting that we do. If mm-hmm. we're prone all the time, yeah, I think it does a pretty good job. They're you know 13, 13 and a half, somewhere in that range is like average standard minimum, which is a really weird minimum to me when you think about how when you stand up vertically, your eye is significantly further away from the scope. If you didn't want to, if, unless without pushing your head all the way forward to kind of crane over it, you have to set up the rifle very differently if you were shooting only standing shots and not blading yourself to the target, staying square to the rifle, than you do if you're prone with your neck laying on the rifle or your cheek running on the rifle and your neck's all the way forward. There's several inches of, of change there, and that means you have to make accommodations or sacrifices in the setup of the rifle system to have the best range of motion and eye relief throughout the, all the possible positions you're going to shoot. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's different. Just because you're a certain height doesn't mean that your length of pull is the same as someone else. I mean, everybody's body's slightly different, so. Yeah. I mean, point in case on this one, you know, my I'm five foot nine, just like right at five nine. Um, my arms are longer than they should be, in my reach, if you will, is longer than it should be for someone of my height. So my length of pull, if I use a standard length of pull at 13 and a half inches, it feels good, except my neck is fairly short for my height. So relatively speaking, when I put my head down, I have to pull the scope f- further back to maintain proper eye relief or blade my body if I'm in a fully standing position. If I go prone, I'm either I'm compromised in one of the two positions. I either have to pull my neck back if I set the scope you know, all the way to the rear for, say, a high standing shot. When I go prone, I've got to pull my head, crane it, and compress it rearward in order to keep the black shadow from occurring around the outside of the scope. Conversely, if I set it up for prone so it's, you know, perfect, I end up with the opposite effect. I stand up, I have a really tall shot off a tall barricade, and all of a sudden I have this little half of the reticle looking peeping through my scope, and it looks like I'm, you know, looking through a straw. Neither of those are good. So I've learned to set up my rifle where the in a prone position, my the black shadow is just about to appear from a fully prone position. That means I have the most eye relief I can as I go upward. I'm giving myself the absolute maximum amount of rearward motion to stay inside of the eye box as I go further and further away from the scope when I'm standing up. So, makes sense. Why is that important to a chassis or to a stock? Well, because they're gener- if chassis generally tend to be a little bit easier to adjust. You don't know out of the box what fits you perfectly. So if you pick something that is less adjustable or less configurable out of the box, you may or may not be able to identify the perfect solution for you. And candidly, I don't think we know what the perfect solution is for us until we've put some rounds through it to understand what feels the best, where we are natural with our, our body with low tension in multiple positions. It takes a while to get the rifle set up perfectly for you and then feel like you're familiar with it set up uh, to make the best, the most use of it. Yeah, the more you become in tune with what what you need, um, you'll, you'll find that you're adjusting this over the course of a year. Like as you get better at seeing and feeling and really recognizing what natural point of aim feels like, 
And we've only talked about length of pull so far, right? Correct. But to me, even as important or more important is your grip angle, right. grip hand, grip position. And there's not a lot of stocks out there that I know of that allow you to adjust that. Are there any? Um, technically, well, I think it's the At One has a changeable grip, maybe. Never heard of that. Um, What's that? Who makes that? that one doesn't. That one's a Boyd's. I mean, it's not really a precision rifle. No, I don't see that one. In, in um, I don't know of any that are stocks that have a interchangeable grip or grip angle as a stock. I'm not aware of any. Other than a couple that have like interchangeable faces you can swap out, but that would be like Boyd's uh, at one. But it's not really a viable, I don't think it's, a, I wouldn't consider that a viable uh, stock for, say, a precision rifle competition for a lot it's of pretty, reasons. It's pretty but. odd to me that you named Boyd's, because um, we don't see Boyd's represented in the PRS, right? No, we see I them haven't. mainly in like PRS 22. So, so there's a company like Boyd's that has recognized that a grip, at least dimensions and width and stuff like that. Whether they're onto the complete concept that we're talking about here, they're at least recognizing that people have a different ergonomic preference and how they interface the rifle with their grip hand. But I'm just kind of surprised that none of the other stock companies are onto this. They're trying. A few of them have tried to make, and a couple of them are making modular type adjustable areas on the stock. But they've, in my observation, and yours seems like have neglected the grip really limited it's weird yeah and i think it's huge personally i you know and we've talked maybe we haven't talked about this but i make my own grip because i think it's so important of the grip hand location and its reference to the trigger and i'm it's not even a question to me like i won't i won't shoot something that doesn't allow me to have that flexibility because it's that important i don't care i guess if i got to tape a piece of plastic on there or 3d print something like i'll do that um, on a stock if I had to, but why? Like, use use something that allows me to create a perfect interface for me with with the rifle. Yeah, and this is definitely a process that takes some time, which, you know, when you don't know... When you're first starting out, you don't know what you don't know. You just get what's what looks nice, what other people run, and you try it. And if, if you... And I'm saying pigeonhole yourself. I don't mean it in a negative way, but if you buy something that's not flexible to your learning process, as you learn and adapt, you learn that, hey, 45 to, canted 45 degrees off the rifle, bladed, isn't the proper way to shoot, and then you, you have this custom spec stock or a custom spec rifle. Maybe it's not a stock. It could be a chassis, I suppose, if somebody built it for you. That's you know the only way you can shoot it even with the scope all the way to the rearward is 45 degrees to the rifle when you're in a position, then we have a problem because you'll never be able to utilize that chassis or that stock in a position that's square to the rifle or semi-square that lets you use the ergonomics of your body, your bone structure, bone support to its maximum potential. And you'll be limited when you hit some, you hit some skill level that allows you to pull off shots that you really shouldn't, that all of a sudden you can't pull them off as consistently as someone who is using good fundamentals. And it's probably or likely limited by the equipment that you're running. And you may not ever, it'd be, it really is hard to identify that without some, you know, other people helping you and watching and observing. Well, it's also hard to identify that when you're at a, the beginning stages of your yeah. your learning curve and you've, cre- you've purchased um, something that won't be able to be flexible with you and grow with you. It's kind of like, um, in my opinion... This is just a, trying to create some type of a sim- similar 
example, but buying some sort of hardware, let's just call it a Kestrel, that has a fixed firmware that can never be updated. Like, why would you want to have a dinosaur? You you would have to buy like some new piece yeah. of hardware, right? If it wasn't able to be upgraded. But in my opinion, a chassis is like something that you can always update. You can always update the firmware when new techniques and new processes and new options and new techniques, or sorry, new um, physical um, hardware comes out. You know, you can always test it and slap it on there and try it for yourself and, yeah. and adjust the stuff around. So being able to change it and evolve it as the game evolves, because, I mean, we're playing a game here, let's be honest. Uh, we're not you yeah. know, out there trying to kill the animal of a lifetime. We're trying to out, be out, out there, you know, using the rules of the game and create the best chance for success for ourselves. So I just, that's why I started with a chassis. Um, I think I've told you or you guys before that I'm still using, like, I, I have three MPABA comp chassis and just recently got the Matrix Pro and um, I haven't tried it out yet, but I, I'm still, like, stuck on that chassis from 2017 because... It still is flexible, and there's a lot of great things to be said about a chassis system, all of them, because they're all adjustable. They're all, they all can evolve as the game evolves. Yeah. And I think that evolve part is really important, and you're going to hear a common theme as we move forward, you know, in this particular episode, and as we move into the MPA, you know, the principles of precision and fundamentals of shooting and how, how those transfer into better scores, into more shots on target. Being able to adapt uh, as you move from, say, we're talking about length of pull, just something so simple as is your clothing staying the same throughout the course of the year. So if you didn't, if you had a t-shirt on, the thickness of that t-shirt is 164th of an inch or some really small number. You get into position, you're good to go. Fast forward, you get to a few months later and it's November. And you go out to a really cold match where you have to throw on all the layers, not just one or two, but all of them. And you get on the rifle and you just feel uncomfortable. It's probably not like not only just you're uncomfortable because you have bulk on, but the rifle doesn't seem to settle properly. You don't feel like you have the same relationship or connection to the rifle. And you may, you know, very unconsciously um, pick up on that and sense it. A lot of that maybe is just due to the fact that you have now an inch or two inches of clothing in front of your shoulder, keeping the rifle in a very different position. And there's would, nothing you can do about and there's it. There's zero <laughs> you can do unless you have something that can adapt to that. So yeah. I know I personally will change my length of pull on the fly for the weather or the season that I'm shooting based on the amount of clothing I'm wearing. It does yeah. not stay the same. Me too. So when we talk about you know using a chassis stock selection... If you're going to find a stock or a product, make sure it can do more than what you need. Make sure if you think this is the length of pull, ideally go to a match, go someplace where you can find somebody of your similar height or a couple people and get your hands on different hardware. And if they'll let you, you know, put it on barricades and get prone behind it and just try to see if it feels comfortable, what you like, what you don't like, get time behind it without even necessarily shooting just to see if you could imagine that being a good fit and then does it go shorter than what you just tried yes cool does it go longer yes cool all right those are two great check boxes to mark does the grip change no 
okay, well, that may be a deal breaker or else you have to learn a specific grip and you're going to have to accommodate instead of, you know, say a full purchase of hand on the side of a rifle and, and fingers wrapped around a grip. You may have to put your fingertips on the front of the grip and float your hand off to the side in order to keep a good trigger finger relationship. Um, you can see where I'm going with this. It's just simply you need to find the ergonomics of the, the product needs to match you and you need to love the product. And it needs to be flexible enough to adapt to you as a shooter as you evolve as a novice to an intermediate to an advanced shooter. Uh, it needs to be able to fit you as well. I've never seen anything that's perfect, and I think that's what you and I talk about quite a bit. And we talk about it with the people that support us with the products. All the time. Um, but there's a lot of ways to work around. So if you yeah. understand, you know, you, I, I make compromises all the time because I'm... I want to use, I feel like there's certain things that I value over other things, if that makes sense. And I've just come to think that nothing is perfect. I'm going to, I'm going to pick the thing that has the best, the most of all the variables that I care about Yep. and then figure out a workaround for the rest. And, yeah. you know, as long as you're aware of, of the priorities, I think it becomes relatively easy to pick something that's going to get, set you up for success. Yep. So outside of the you know the attributes of say the grip, the, so there's first we talked about the materials. That's part one. Part two would be your length of pull and its adjustability and how it's set up. Is it quick adjust or is it call it I'm going to call it slow adjust or permanent adjust where you'd have to go in and undo a bunch of screws, add spacers that you'd have to carry with you if you were going to change it. You know evaluation of whether or not that's something you'll do consistently or just you're going to leave it alone. That's a, a part of the selection criteria. Your grip, how it interfaces with you. Do you find it comfortable? Is it something you're willing to work to adapt towards? Because I do think there are some grips that were designed, you know, their angle works for A, but it doesn't work well for B. And if you have to, you have to make a compromise or learn a new strategy to hold and, and manipulate the your trigger hand, which generally doesn't have a lot of influence on the rifle, at least it shouldn't. But it does need to be a very neutral, natural feel or else you're adding stress in an area that's one of the worst areas to add stress, i.e. your trigger hand, which has only one function, to pull the trigger straight to the rear without disrupting the sight, in my opinion. The rest of it is yeah. your shoulder and your front hand or the, or the bipod or a rear bag. And, um, that takes us, I think, to the, one of the last components, which gets us to you know, adjustability of weighting. And or and there's a couple of others as well, but I think that's the primary one that you that I think of anyway. Is can we manipulate the weight of the system to accommodate the type of barrel, barrel diameter, barrel length, and accessories that are going to go on the rifle in our normal configuration for say an average stage that will give us the best chance of a neutral balance point directly over where your bag naturally wants to be. Mm-hmm. And that's that's huge. Easier said than done. Um, there are some really good products that are doing well with that now. Uh, even, you know, like the Manners TCS, I know they they have their, like, Arcalock 419 weight system underneath where you can add weight to help manipulate it. Uh, obviously, I know MPA has a weighting system. Um, MDT definitely has a weight system. We've had the internal and external weights. You can add it, I think, something like 6 pounds, 6, 7 pounds. I'd have to do the math. But somewhere in the 5, 6-pound range, total across the outside and inside of the rifle and the net benefit of that is the ability to manipulate the cg of your built rifle directly over the area that's the most important which would be your support bag if you're on a barricade 
and there's areas that you want it. You don't necessarily want it right at the magwell, your CG, meaning where the rifle would balance. You don't necessarily want it at the front of the rear bag. You don't want it at the middle of the rear bag necessarily. You may find that you want it three quarters of an inch forward of where the bag would, where the rifle would be setting on a bag on a cattle gate so that there's a slight forward bias by itself. But if you touch the rifle in any way, you're taking up some of that weight and holding it with your trigger hand, your shoulder, your cheek. You have to find what works well for you. Uh, personally, I, I like to set mine exactly over the center of a medium, so it will balance absolutely perfectly on a cattle gate. That's mm-hmm. how I set mine up. When I'm touching the when the barricade stop or the mag block stop barricade stop of the the magwell is setting up against the bag, I want the the notch in my Armageddon gear bags to be directly over the balance point. Mm-hmm. Me too. If I can achieve that, I think I have a rifle that's both neutral, easy to manipulate, and very versatile. So if I have to free recoil it's capable of it. If I have to hard drive the rifle, it's still capable of it. It still feels very comfortable to move it from off the bag and around from plate from position to position. It's where you would generally grab underneath the magwell or near it, so it doesn't feel like you're going to be forward heavy or rear heavy as you're transitioning from position one to position two. Yeah. So that's, to me, the most important attribute of a, of a chassis is besides you know MPA and being able to fit that, the weighting and balance of a rifle system is extremely important. And I don't know, uh, I'd like to see, I think it'd be really cool if we ended up, you know, doing some tests on rifles where you have, you know, weights in different places and you, you keep the same overall weight, but you just test the different weight and position um, so that you could see if there's an effect for you on target. I personally know that off cattle gates and skinny objects, I definitely see a difference on target by manipulating weights. Uh, they generally have to be a little bit large, like a pound all the way to the front versus a pound removed, uh, say, over the bag. They feel very different, and you don't see a, a you know, you can see some changes that uh, you wouldn't otherwise expect. Yeah, I haven't done any actual studies with it, but I, I just know that I like the feel and, and the way it acts under recoil when I'm balanced, like you said, about three inches in front of the mag the the barricade stop portion of the magwell Mm -hmm. yep yeah i think that the so from there you know the important attribute of why that balance matters is not just that it reacts sort of to multiple positions when the gun is fired how quickly the reticle stops is not just a function of your how good your break is right or how efficient your break is it's also a function of how well the rifle's mass is able to sort of react to the... So think of it a different way. Let's say let's take, it takes one pound of force to stop my muzzle from climbing after I break a shot. So that means the gas coming out behind the bullet has to stop the muzzle with approximately one pound of upward force. If your rifle has one pound of extra force at the rear trying to pull it downward then as soon as it starts now the, the muzzle has to produce effectively two pounds of force in order to stop the rifle it'll always want to travel upward whereas done the other way maybe the rifle is actually trying to go nose heavy a pound and when you fire off a shot the muzzle brake adds a pound and it's now driving itself far downward 
this is where the play means you're now looking either level at a target, above a target, or below a target based on just how the muzzle brake, your muzzle device, and its balance point work between a prop and a bag. And that is something that you can't just assume, you know, buying product A with this weight and this chassis and this configuration will do for you because it's also cartridge specific in my experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but my 6XC, my 6 Creedmoor, they reacted very differently under the shot than a dasher. And what I mean by that is not just recoil. I mean, post shot, you'd get some recoil, but my 6.5 was had so much more gas duration that it stopped. It was easier to stop that upward rise with, say, a Maverick or a big brake, like a Sidewinder, than it was with uh, like a Hellfire or a bare muzzle or something that was less efficient. I had a couple other muzzle brakes that just didn't seem to work as well. But when I went to something that was you know, very efficient and did a lot of upward venting, it, it did too much work. In fact, I remember the first year I used the Maverick, I, I test fired it and it was like, it's too aggressive. It's, it's putting me under the target. And that is not something I wanted either. Was that with a 6.5 or a 6XC? That was a 6.5, 6XC. Because that was at, uh, that was at my first finale. Um, for, yeah, I think it was the first finale or second finale. I tried it, one of the prototypes that we ha- they had in, I think, late 2019, if I remember that right. Mm-hmm. And your late night, tw- it had to be because it was the, f- it was a match at Collis. I'm trying to recall which date it was. It was about six months before the Maverick was officially out. Um, and yeah, it was it was so aggressive that I was having a really hard time keeping it uh, keeping it on target. It was you know pushing my barrel down prone to the point where I was seeing like a lot of bouncing in the barrel, the chassis, the bipod, the stock. Everything was flexing. I'm like, yeah, it's too aggressive. So. I ended up changing some weighting and moving some things around, and it was far less aggressive at that point. But it was different caliber to caliber. With the Dasher, I don't notice that as much. It's I'd love for it to be even more aggressive than what it is. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of gas pressure left in a Dasher with such a small case to do the work. So, Yeah, so we have that. Uh, chassis, chassis selection, NPA... Anything else? What about color? How much does color play a portion to you? Color is the most important at- attribute. I mean, blaze orange yeah. for the win. Well, we know that. <laughs> Actually, this is semi-serious. No, like, um, you know, we were talking earlier, but it didn't make it onto this cast. We know that gray-blue sucks, and <laughs> blaze orange is awesome. I really, I really want my ch- chassis, stock, color, whatever you want to call it. I want my system to blend underneath me. I don't want to notice it. And I know a lot of people have some wild colors, but I don't want to look at my rifle and have it sort of distracting in my field of view. I'd rather just kind of be looking through it. And for whatever reason, <clears throat> I tend to notice colors. I had a, a manners, I had a couple of manners stocks way back and one of them was, I want to say I had a red, white, and blue one or one that was a, a different color. And it was, it was kind of a, like an orangey yellow color. And, um, I just noticed I always caught the left side. I could just see it out of the corner of my eye, and I liked the way it looked. I just didn't... I just always saw it, and I guess, good or bad, I'm not really sure, but now I paint them all black, and it's just so they are just tools. Yeah, I want mine like a tuxedo t-shirt. It's like, I'm kind of formal, but I also (laughs) like to party. So you're saying you want a mullet? (laughs) No, just just a tuxedo. Not a t- party no. in the back and not a Tennessee tuxedo or whatever Kentucky, what is it called? 
I don't know. I'm just thinking yeah. of the mullet. It's business in the front and party in the back. Yeah, no, that's but, not that. No, I was thinking more of the Step Brothers quote. Or was that Step Brothers? No, no, uh, Talladega Nights. It had to be Talladega yeah, Nights. at the dinner yeah. table. Chip, I will scissor kick you in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's just about everything on chassis. I mean, recapping, I, I think anybody who's new to this is going to find something that they like, and they're going to gravitate towards that and make that selection. I would really challenge anybody who's not yet bought their first product to hey, really evaluate it and ask yourself, if it's your first rifle, by all means, buy what you think you want to buy. But if you've shot a little and you're trying to find what's next, find your weakness. Find what's hurting you in that product and see if you can make it an advantage or give yourself a, a way to improve scores or improve your consistency through the use of your next stock or chassis. Have it help you somewhere that your current system isn't. Yeah, I think anybody making a purchase is thinking about that. I just think, in my opinion, you need to heavily weight ergonomics and rifle setup over anything else. Yeah. And I think that's what a chassis does. Like, I like what you said there, but I think people are making, they make, sometimes they make emotional purchases and they make purchases that are, um, I don't know, short, short-sighted or... Yeah, they, they they might evaluate them very early on. I think this is going to help me perform, but I'm not sure that you like. It's easy to say yes. I'm I'm buying this because it will help my ergonomics. It's adjustable. I'm buying this because it's weightable. It can change the weight. But I'm saying even kind of at another level from that, like, do you know what the proper length of pull is for you at your highest versus your lowest? Do you know? what the grip should feel like in its angle or relationship in order for you to feel the most natural. Like if you know those rough approximations, then you can at least get your hands on or maybe try one of those products with a, from a buddy or a friend or go to a range or a match and see one to make sure that the product you think is going to do what you want actually does what you want. And I think that's just, that's a really critical step because they are not inexpensive. I mean, they're 1500, two grand for a full on chassis, you know, decked out and you know, that, that amount of money, the amount of time it can take to get one. So if you're on a waiting list for six months and it shows up, it's a year and a half. And there's a lot of time, money, components, and, and effort spent in potentially something that doesn't get you as far as you maybe needed to go. So, Yeah, I'm on the same page. I mean, I feel like um, our headlights were off and it's been dark for a while. So oh, that that's a good thing that I just turned that on. Uh, <laughs> so, man, it is getting dark out. Yeah, it's way dark. These headlights are much better when they're on. Um, Did you see that ludicrous display last that night? Ludicrous display. So <laughs> I, I just just gonna. I feel like we said this already, but um, we're gonna talk about rifle setup again and again and again because I feel like it's the it's the foundation for setting yourself up to be able to perform and uh, to the highest level you're capable of. Right? Yeah. Now. I, I mean, to me, NPA is king. It's everything. And um, without a properly set up rifle. I don't care how good you are. Um, it, it's going to hold you back to some to some degree, whether it's small or a lot. And why not set yourself up for success from the beginning? So we'll we'll leave it at that. And um, you know, people are going to do what they want to do. And I, I just think make sure that you know what you want and you know you know what, why you're buying what you're yeah. buying. If it's not going to be a flexible product, there's a lot of great... I mean, we're not trying to tell you not to buy a stock. There's a lot of great products out there. Um, 
If you just got make, 10 chassis, just, buy a stock. Just, just make sure you know yeah. what you want. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to know what you want without shooting quite a bit. Yep. Yep. Well, I think that's a good one. We're at yeah. about an hour. Yeah. So. If you cut off that whole beginning part, we might be less than an hour, but that's okay. Yeah, but that beginning was pretty cool. We'll play snippets of it. Oh, yeah, the acapella. I don't remember. I think we were singing blind. Yeah, karaoke with miles to matches. Yep. (laughs) All right, next time, Uh, karaoke. You guys are in. See you there. See you later. Be there. Be square. Adios. See you.